Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. I am delighted to have as my guest today, Dr. Sabrina Falkier, and I just want to take you back to some little context. 2003, I'm an intern. I'm in my third day as a physician, UC San Diego Internal Medicine Residency at the UCSD Hillcrest Medical Center. And Sabrina walks in. She's my resident. She's a third year. She's the, she, she's the one that we're all looking up to that we're all like, all right, how are we going to be here? How's this going to go? We're brand new. I'm, you know, I'm supercharged, fired up and ready to go. And Sabrina just walked in, man, and we've been friends ever since. But it was an amazing experience to have her as my resident. I had three senior residents that first month, Dr. Elisa Gillis, Dr. Prachi Karnick, and Sabrina. And I'm still friends with all three. They're incredible people. And they were the people I needed that first month. And Sabrina was just awesome. And it's it's just an absolute treat to have her on the podcast because we get to reflect on where we've been over the last 20 years. We actually worked together. For many years after residency, we joined the same medical group in San Diego. She's gone on an amazing journey. Sabrina has done amazing things over the course of her career, personally and professionally. She's gone through a huge career transition, and we talk a lot about why that happened. She has become an expert in culinary medicine, and she's making a huge impact in that space with her work with Sensation Salud and with all of the public speaking that she's doing and the community engagement that she's doing there. And that's another place that we get to spend a lot of time, right? How do we how do we find the things that really call to us and how do we really tap into being pluripotent? Because this is what she has been doing for sure. And then this idea of imprinting, right? She was my resident 20 years ago. I remember so much of not just the medicine that I learned from her, but the way she carried herself, the way she led the team, the way she made all of us feel uh, that that imprinting lasts. And we have a chance to spend a lot of time on that. This was a really cool episode. We've known each other for a long time. We've talked about doing an episode together for quite some time, and this was the right moment. I'm absolutely delighted, and just just getting to reflect with her was just too much fun. You're going to absolutely love it. Before we get to it, though, definitely check out the archive of Explore the Space podcast, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can hit me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. You can find Explore the Space wherever you like to download your shows. If you're listening for the first time, please do subscribe. That really helps the show out. Definitely Share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, so that they can check it out. The archive is huge. We've got over 300 episodes, all kinds of topics, incredible guests. Definitely have a look. Check out the Explore the Space merchandise store as well. It's absolutely fantastic. www.explorethespaceshow.com forward slash merch. And if you do have a chance to leave us that five-star rating and review wherever you like to download your shows, that really does help us out. Speaking of helping someone out, man, I... I <laughs> That first week, man, it's intense. It's a hard week when you're a brand new intern and to have someone like Sabrina come in and basically help set things right and help get you moving in the right direction is just incredibly special. I'm glad that 20 years later we can reflect. Well, not quite 20 years. Let's be fair. Not quite 20 years. We're coming up on it, though. To have her come on, explore the space and reflect, you're going to absolutely enjoy hearing from her. So let's get to it. Here's Dr. Sabrina Falkier. Sabrina, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. This is this is really cool. It's awesome. Long time in the making, and I'm so excited that we're having this conversation. A long time in the making. So uh, I guess it would have been, what, like July of 2003 
we met in the residence workroom at the UCSD Medical Center in Hillcrest. It was my first week as a resident. I had been on for two days and you were the resident that came in. I was the intern and, and, and in walks the resident, in walks Sabrina. That was that was 20 years ago. Oh my goodness. When you when you put the math that way, it's so funny. I I you've always had this amazing visual memory of those moments. And I don't know, because I know I often do to the resident and they won't remember as much. So I love your reminder of that clear memory of when we met and hopefully I wasn't too intimidating. (laughs) You weren't intimidating. You weren't. But it definitely I mean, you carried it. You carried it right. I think for me, I mean, so much had been building up to that moment too, right? I'd been excited to be a doctor for a long time. Um, You know, medical school was fun, but it was all prelude. And now I'm here. Now I'm actually doing it. Um, You know, our friend Elisa was our was my resident for that first like long weekend. And then she graduated. So now it's like, all right, now it's time. Like I had the, you know, the fourth year senior resident just kind of doing their last thing before they head off into the world. Now it's the person who's going to be like, I'm going to we're going to roll for a year together. And you carried it like that. And that was I think it was what I needed. I think I needed you to come in with, you know shoulders back, bright eyes, ready to hit it, confident, like we can all get there. You'll get here too. But it set a really nice lofty standard in the right way. And you just, you carried it so brilliantly, whether you were conscious of it or not. I remember, and I wasn't the only one that was like, yeah, we're we're all set. This is going to be good. That's, thank you for saying that. I I find it so interesting, especially now as years have gone on of no longer teaching medical students or residents, but now educating in different ways. And that sense of helping people step up to a space that they're going to fill, but they may not realize that they have those, those shoes to fill it. It's in there. And to be able to help lead people in that direction. It's a good thing to start with then, right? Because you and I actually, our careers have been connected ever since because you finished, you joined the same medical group in San Diego that I joined when I graduated. So we were then colleagues for the next eight years again. The To have a sense of situational awareness, which has obviously helped change the trajectory of your career, how did you sort of build what you already clearly had in residency as an attending, very busy, full patient panel, all of the responsibilities, and then a growing family to still be able to see there is an opportunity here for growth. There's an opportunity. There's a space here where people don't have the right sense of what they could be doing in this case with respect to the the food that they eat, the nutritional choices that they're making, the the, the food access that they have or don't have. How, how did that sort of begin to foment? Because that's a skill in and of itself. Oh, Mark, I love um, just thinking back because I feel like when I first joined, so I finished residency, I, I originally thought I wanted to do OBGYN. So I actually did a women's health that. fellowship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was funded through the VA and and I love this. So I had this this funding that allowed me to enhance my I knew I was going to do outpatient primary care. So it allowed me to enhance with the parts that were most interesting or also gaps I felt I had that would help me be a better primary care doctor. And then I started being a primary care doctor, started evolving um, really those long-term relationships with patients, which I absolutely loved and still continue to love the the connections that you make as humans, no matter if it's a patient doctor relationship or colleagues. To me, that connection has always been key. And like you mentioned, Mark, I was... I was recently married. We had two children. I was building this career and it was, it was great until I started realizing that this felt like 
wow, is this, is this life? Like, is this it? Right. And, and I feel like there were these almost check boxes. So people would ask, Oh, how are things going? They're, they're, they're okay. They're good. And, and right. something deep inside of me started saying, is there, is, is there supposed to be something else? Those check boxes are very real. I, I agree with you. Uh, and you can fall into sort of a syncopated rhythm and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I'm doing the things that I've sort of been felt like I should be doing, but I don't feel satisfied. I, I remember that same feeling. And I think it's a restlessness that you get. We're like, wait a minute. I mean, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm okay. But I'm professionally very, very restless. Was that the, would that be a word that you could use to characterize that? Because I remember when you were in that space, for sure. Yeah. It's funny. I don't know if restless comes in. It's more, is this it? Like, is this... I yeah, don't yeah. feel this deep sense of satisfaction and happiness that I thought I would feel once I checked right. those boxes of life. Yeah. <laughs> once you've sort of gone through the was... process of learning how to be an attending, which is the hardest transition of them all, you're, yeah, there's that sense of, wait a minute, am I going to do this for 30 years? Or, yeah, I'm going to do this for 30 years. And I think it's probably a little yeah. bit different for everybody. Um, it is funny, though, in that space of like stamping yourself on people, which obviously I think there's, and, I, and this is what's coming next, just, just so you can be ready. My, my buddy Syed teases me. He says that when every podcast that I do, there's a, a 100 proof Shapiro question. Um, <laughs> it's the, it's the hard question that I ask and that's coming. I haven't made it up yet, but okay. I know it's coming, but I just, I wanted, I still want to spend a little bit more time in that, in the, in the kind of that space of how we imprint on one another. Cause I know that's a big part of what you're doing now. People having access to a physician who is comfortable and enthusiastic about educating them around nutrition, food choices in that space of not being judgmental of acknowledging that food is a social determinant of health. The way we imprint on one another is so fascinating because I had three residents in my first month as an intern, you Prachi and Elisa, and I'm 20 years into my career. My 20th med school reunion is coming up. I don't have a day go by now where I don't think what would Prachi, Elisa, and Sabrina think of this? What would their what would they say as I make this choice or do this thing? It's it's a it's super cool. And what I've realized over many years is I should just embrace it, right? That the three of you had such a strong imprint on me because I had these three absolute powerhouses, not just as as doctors, but as people, that I should really embrace that imprinting that the three of you had on me and just, yeah, like what are they what would they say? If they see it or if we text or if they don't or whatever, how would this reflect on them and what feedback would I get? And I just think that it's so valuable to have those experiences. I think that's one of the best parts of medical training is that you get to have that sort of imprinting done on you by really important people and also acknowledge it's a responsibility because you can have that imprinting done in ways that may not be that positive. Were you aware of things like that when you were a senior resident? I, I was. It's interesting because I go both ways with what you just said. There were people that I could I could see how they handle certain situations like Rajiv Roy actually comes in my yeah. mind. So how he handled a code in the middle of the night at the VA, you know, his hair kind of standing on end as we're <laughs> as we're sleeping on those plasticky pillows. And I still hear the crunchy sound of those pillows if you ever got to to lay on them. And I remember him being so calm and collected. And, you know, he could be a total goofball. Yet when these these situations arose, I could count on him. I felt grounded by him. I was learning yeah. from him. And, that, yeah. and yes, those situations, it's amazing like you said, it's 20 years later and you're so imprinted by those situations that it, they have such an impact. And to go along with that, and it's not quite medicine related, but when I started transitioning 
to um, culinary medicine. And it really came out just to kind of close that gap. So I'm doing my career, I'm checking off the boxes and I had some extra CME money. So decided to go to Napa. There was a conference in Napa, which of course is a beautiful setting and it's about food. And I, I've always enjoyed food. I've, I traveled a lot. I grew up in Mexico. There's a lot of different aspects of spending summers in Switzerland with my grandparents. So I was really drawn to this conference. And when the keynote speaker started talking, I actually started crying of this joining of food and medicine. And to me, it was always like you do medicine and then you go out to dinner with your friends or you get a trip once in a while where you get to experience these other pieces. And all of a sudden I'm learning that you can actually bring the two together. So these conversations with patients about food were no longer the side dish to no pun intended, but kind of this last thing that you're like, oh yeah, by the way, you could enjoy, you know, your tacos with more vegetables. And and I say that, um, because I, we, I live in San Diego and tacos are a big part of our cuisine. Um, so that's why I use that example. But but so when I came back, that was so new for me. I come back to San Diego. I literally Google teaching kitchens, try to find anywhere in San Diego that has this. And I was so nervous. I knew how to be a doctor. I knew how to bill well. I knew how to interact with patients. I could count 20 minutes in my head without counting. And I knew it was time for the next patient. I mean, these, these routines that served me well until they no longer served me well. So then I started finding this teaching kitchen. And I really started learning almost as a mentorship in, this is Olivewood Gardens and Learning Center, really near the Mexican border. So not only did I go back to this Mexican culture, this side of me that had been suppressed, but the hugging and the empowerment of really helping each other out. And the reason I say that when you talk about these mentors is that when I started getting a gig, so to speak, or a talk where I could do it, As I was driving to the event, and I still do it to this day, I out loud say the names of the women that helped me get there. And it is powerful. Yes. Wow. (laughs) That is so cool. I have not heard you speak. I've seen you on TV and I've read your interviews, but I've never actually been to one of your events. When you take the stage, do you have that same sense of I am going to be imprinting? I'm making an impression. I'm making a first impression or following up that you had when reflecting on right that first person you saw speak in Napa and the impression that you had on us when you came in the room with the new interns. Do you still have that sense? Is it front of mind or is it instinct? So I used to be so scared of speaking in public and I feel like it had to be, I had to find something that I was so incredibly passionate about that I realized I really want to share this with the world. So when I step up on the stage or when I'm speaking, um, like the kitchenistas again from Olivewood, that's that's probably what you're talking about. I've seen on TV. Uh, I, I just change the rhetoric around by instead of saying, wow, I'm really scared. People are going to be looking at me, you know, whatever would come my way of saying I had this opportunity to share this time in this space with this group of people. And that self-talk change it around so much that I felt like there's something we're going to share here and who knows how much of what I say they're going to take home. But my goal is that there's a couple seeds that are planted that will change how they choose to go about their next meal, their next day, how they interact with another human. So it's easy for us to use the word like connection And, you know, they can when we're thinking about inspiration and we're thinking about education, for me, sometimes that word can be a little bit of a platitude because we can say it and we we have to think a little bit more specifically about the why. 
with the work that you're doing, right? We can't do without food. Food means different things to everybody. People have different access to food. They have different foods that they like. They may have foods that they can't eat. They, the milieu is endless, right? In, a, in something that is so ubiquitous, it has every variable attached to it from expense to joy to sadness to deprivation to, to plenty. And then obviously the sense of mystery and necessity when it comes to illness and the connection between nutrition and, and health and illness, the risk of exploitation, which we obviously see people trying to take advantage of that. When you think to yourself and you're creating a talk and you're making a slide and you're saying this is going to be a big, diverse audience, I've got 45 minutes. They have to come out of this with a couple of key things, but it's not going to be the slide. It's not going to be the words. It's going to be me. What are the things that you put and put at risk and make yourself vulnerable with to ensure when you take, leave the stage and the applause dies down that actually they're going to go and make different choices? Wow. Hunter <laughs> Proof Shapiro question. There it is. It's a little overworked. I could have, I could have shortened it. <laughs> I'm trying to distill down the question. I overworked um, the dough. Yes, there you go. Please don't. You're going to get less aeration <laughs> in your bread, which That's right. I don't know if you make bread, but oh, bad. That has been a humbling experience. But that is me procrastinating answering <laughs> the your pandemic question. hobby of many. But no, so yes. I, right to distill it down to its essence, right? It's not going to be the fancy slides and it's not necessarily going to be your word choice. It's going to be you. Right. And how do you imprint on your audience talking about such a fraught subject Every, some people in the audience love it. Some people in the audience hate it. Some people know how to cook some. Everything is on the table. Sorry. How do you make it so that an audience of 250 people come out with a shared experience? So for me, I actually, I love thinking through this question and this thought because there is, there's two things that come up when I walk in and it depends who the audience is. So for example, if I'm walking in again, this place at Olive Wood, and I've mentioned them because I, so much of my heart and soul is in that space is I am walking in initially as like, oh, here comes Dr. Sabrina, you know, kind of this triangular, she's, she's up here on this, in this podium and she's talking down to us. This is what you need to, there's this expectation. And I say, this is for this audience or really any audience. There's this expectation of this person's going to tell me what I can't eat. This person's going to take away my pleasure around food. And, and my biggest, I don't know if I say risk, but I guess it's going back to what I said before. My biggest goal and hope is when, when I talk is to move away from that space of vilifying food, move away from that space of being a me on a, on a podium of I'm the doctor to us being more around a circle where we're speaking because we all have that experience around food. Like you mentioned, there's this, there's so much that's rooted in food. Our, our childhood memories, our relationship of food when we were growing up was food used as a prize or as a threat? Uh, was it used? Uh, did we start using it as a way to suppress emotions or to suppress the outside world? You know, there's so much in there. So if I'm able to spend that time to help people wake up the beautiful memories around food, to help people realize that I am not here to take away, Mark, what is delicious food for you is going to be different than it is for me. It's going to diff be different than our colleagues, patient, anyone around us. And and to ask rather than tell. 
And that's, that's, I think, the most beautiful thing when I have interactions. And it's come up a lot where if we're doing, um, I, if I'm interacting with patients one-on-one, I'm asking them first, what do you enjoy eating? There's no assumptions in my head. So they'll start telling me, you know, I love, um, you know, when I grew up in, one of the parts I love about primary care, some of my days I spoke pretty much all in Spanish. And that's when I knew when they, when Doctora Sabrina, a little blondie, they realized really does speak Spanish. And we would go into this settled, comfortable place and they would tell me about the mole that their grandma would make. And when they brought me mole from the little town, that's when I knew I was in with the family. (laughs) So I'm hearing what they love. They, you see this, you hear all of us, most of us, when we talk about food, our eyes get brighter, we remember a trip or we remember childhood memory. And they're telling me this and I am taking mental notes, right? So the culinary medicine brain in me is saying, okay, this person likes savory food. This person likes spicy. This person enjoys this type of food. And I know the medical history, right? They're diabetic or high blood pressure or we're trying to have pre-diabetes, we're trying to prevent it. So I'm I'm using the information they're giving me to help us figure out what could be their next step in their journey with their food, love, and choices. So I'm never going to say, oh, no, you can't eat that food again because that's bad for you. And I'm doing air quotes because there are certain foods I hate being on the diet or off the diet, a food being bad or good. It's really moving that needle to help people understand that there's nothing wrong with their palate. There's nothing wrong with the food choices, but they is, and you mentioned it, these, what's available to them? Is there a grocery store around them? Do they have the time to cook? So using all the information that I'm able to gather and I'll ask, where do you grocery shop? And there've been some people I shop at this store and they don't sell produce there. So I will not buy produce. And it's like, okay, (laughs) thank you. Thank for telling me your beginning. I think that you've given us another good place to, to move from though, because as I'm listening to you I am not equipped to ask questions in that way, right? I mean, I could do it. I've just never thought of it that way, ever. I have conversations with people about the foods they eat all the time. And, and like you, I try to avoid judgment. And I try to explore from the perspective of food as a social determinant of health when we're like planning a discharge or you know things of that nature. Do you feel outnumbered? Do you feel like people are getting that same message from the other points of access to healthcare and the popular media, um, the the narratives around food in the same way that you're doing it? Because the way you just described it sounds really proactive, really friendly, really accessible, really sustainable and longitudinal. But do you feel outnumbered or do you feel like that's a common way to approach food discussions from the perspective of health? I'm going to answer A on that one. <laughs> And the right. bubble sheet definitely outnumbered, and and it's yeah. interesting because when you ask me, Mark, that first question about when I go up in an audience and there's 250 people out there, when I think of those 250 people being other physicians, those have been my hardest audience, actually. Whoa! So yeah, and that um, and that's been the most interesting part, right? Because all of us went to school for eons, right? So when I tell my kids that I went to school from age three until 29 and then went back to right. school for four years in my in my late 30s and 40s, you know, they feel like this is endless. And all of us have been in the medical field and doctors specifically have been to school that many years. And, and to hear that there might be something, some deficiency, and I'm using kind of air quotes again here, a gap in the way we are approaching our patient care 
that is really can be really threatening. And and I've had colleagues who have pat me on the back and said, it's so cute that you cook and 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 to just decide to I'm just gonna keep showing up. And I remember when I first um I've seen that conference when I started crying, it was a five day conference at the time. And I kept my brain just kept going back and forth. It's like, wow, this is my career. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but it's going in that direction. And then two hours later, I'd be like, no, but my job won't let me do this. And I just kept flip flopping. And then all of a sudden, like day three and a half or four, I'm like, wait a second, they don't own me. <laughs> it's this kind of pivotal yeah. moment. This is my journey, my career journey. And for a few years, I really worked um in in really was scared. Like I remember we had a a conference and I prepared for weeks because it was my chance to show culinary medicine to my medical group. And, and I did a demo and they tasted everything. And I had my, my family up on stage and it was, it was really, it was exciting, intimidating. I made sure board members were there, you know, people that had a say and, um, and I felt really scared and really proud because this was me going from my comfort zone of one-on-one patient care to saying, I know this has such validity and I'm willing to go on a limb and, and start showing this space. And it's just, it's challenging. It's really hard. What helps is there's a lot of evidence behind it. And some of them is not, you know, it's not this go on a you know, do a fun cooking class for several weeks. There's, there's, you know, multiple, we know that people doing um, multi-week events. So six to eight weeks where they do go every week, there's a lot more return on investment, so to speak. So mm-hmm. change in behavior, improvement in, in diabetic numbers, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. And we've studied this statistically, there is a difference, but there's also, and this is where for you, Mark, being in, in hospital medicine, this is the beauty is the Leo heart trial. We're not, I know we're not going into studies here, but I am going to mention that one. <laughs> one pre, one pre discharge. So if someone has a heart attack and you send them down, for a two-hour session on how to eat better, looking at the Mediterranean pattern of eating. And for them just to have that two-hour session, the secondary rate of MIs went down significantly. So you have somebody at this vulnerable time in their life and you invest in having the space where they're able to learn that they're actually able to make behavioral change right away. So those has helped. Evidence definitely helps. (laughs) It does. And I think with the, you know, the recalcitrant physician audience, it's obviously important. And it's, it's a, it's pretty cringy to hear the response that you got, uh, you know, initially with some of those talks. And it's also unfortunately not all that surprising for a wide variety of reasons and that you have been able to, you know, be resolute and, and plow forward, I think speaks tremendously, not just about the importance of the work, but about how, how you sort of hold it. As you think about it now, you made a huge career pivot, right? You decided that this was big enough and of enough size and importance and and gave you enough satisfaction to move away and do this full time. What were the sort of internal levers that, that were pulled? And then what were the external forces that made it maybe a little bit easier? Acknowledging it's a huge choice and you give up a lot, right? We, I, was, I left the same medical group and it was because I wanted to be closer to family. It was like the only reason you leave, right? But... To do that, you have to have a mixture of internal and external drivers. Let's start with the internal. What would have been one or two of the internal drivers for you? So when I 
So I continued to grow culinary medicine on my own. At this point, I had gone down to 0.5 FTE. So I was working half the week, seeing patients. And then the other half the week, I was um, really growing the the culinary medicine piece. And I, and I felt like that would be a good balance. So I still had a decent income. Um, I still had my my name on a door and my white coat and all the things that society says, again, those check boxes were still checking. But I noticed <laughs> that there was there were two two big things that were going on internally. Uh, one is the the pieces that I was I was hoping to grow with the group were were not growing in a way that felt I wasn't going to say fast enough. And what I mean by that is I started realizing, yes, the years feel really long, but my career life for all of us is a finite, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, depending on when you started. And I felt like what I had to give the world as far as culinary medicine was concerned was, was bigger than I could do in this space. So that was, that was a big one. And the other one is I started noticing situational awareness, right? That the opportunity it's there, but you, you need to plant your flag. Yes, exactly. Um, the other piece was, I noticed that, um, that I mentioned how I love the relationships with patients and I really do. But I started noticing that I was, I was getting more and more drained by the primary care days where on the, you know, I wake up Thursday morning and instead of being chipper and ready to go with, with culinary medicine work, I needed to recover more and more from, from the days. And, and it's patient care. It's being, you know, just the medical system as a whole. So the tipping point started becoming more important, um, for myself, for my family. Again, that, that life joy was, was starting to get a little thin. Um, and yeah, it was a huge decision. And, and what's interesting was I, I, I knew it was in there and I've always loved the idea of journaling, but felt something was stopping me from it. And a friend of mine who's an ER doctor had, this was um, fall of 2020, late fall of 2020. She had said how one of the ways that she was getting through the pandemic as an ER doctor was to start journaling. And somehow the way she said it just finally got me to start journaling. And within a week, I knew I was ready to take the plunge. So I told my husband and he's like, so like when? <laughs> <laughs> So my husband, as you well know, Mark, he's he's uh, pulmonary critical care. So he's thick in the middle of pandemic chaos, to put it mildly. And 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 so, yeah, so that was in right around the holidays. And I gave a six month notice and realized I really wanted a summer. I think as a parent, that was one of the parts I really had a hard time with is when summers would come around and it's the tetrising of schedules to get your kid from camp A to B. And I wanted a summer where I wasn't doing that. So yeah. So that was that was the decision. Yeah. So then the external factors, though, there there is so much narrative. There are so many entities that try to claim narrative around why physicians move away. And, you know, you can read it in the popular press. You can read it in medical journals. You can read it on social media. Everyone has an opinion. But as someone who made that choice and who was and is a superb physician by any measure, and as you said, right, went to school for forever to get there. Can, when you think about the external factors and the external forces that were at play that were a part of that, and then you see the popular narratives around why physicians are leaving, how much lineup is there and how much like that is not relevant to my journey? It's so interesting to think, because of course, now I have a rear view mirror view, which I did not at the time. Right. There was 
I have I have been a team player to the nth degree for probably my whole life. And and to have to separate here we are, we were we were losing physicians in our primary care practice as we were in other places. And and the idea that I was going to be burdening my colleagues by leaving, um, that was really hard. And to have to keep checking in with myself, and that's actually where the journaling and walking and, and not walking, listening to things, just walking and being, that's very meditative for me, of, of being able to listen to my inner voice and stop the noise from, from the outside, from colleagues, from the life shoulds. And those were extensive. Um, and I say that, you know, did you become a doctor because you wanted to make your family proud? you know, does, does it look really good to have your name with associated with a big medical group? There were so many shoulds to finally be able to distill it down and say, this is me at the end of the day, when I have my head on my pillow, I am alone with my thoughts, with my full being. And that's what I let finally speak out. And I have to say, so yes, so I did that leap of faith and it's not like la la land that everything was perfect. I would say the first year almost afterwards, people were like, oh, so what's it like not to be a doctor anymore? And it's like, I'm still a doctor. If anything, I'm more specialized <laughs> right. and I'm giving to the world in a different way. But I realized part of my my harsh, harsh or big response, I don't know, was also because I was still trying to figure out what is, what am I, who am I without all these external checkboxes? And that took a while and it felt very vulnerable because I had quote unquote done everything right to go up that list. And I chose to get off of that walkway or whatever you call it. And, and yeah, the hamster wheel, it was, it was interesting. And it takes a while. I mean, to do this entrepreneur road of doing, you know, my company Sensation Salud is about culinary medicine, consulting and education. I am educating a lot of people what I do, what merit it has in different arenas. And and it's taken a while and it's been amazing. I have literally tears of joy sometimes when I when I'm walking after a, an important meeting or an event where I really feel like I did plant some seeds in people. And I feel like I'm making change for generations to come. That feels so powerful to me. And that's what keeps me going. Is my paycheck as comfortable as it was? Not at all. Is it getting better? Yes. Am I gaining traction? Yes. Am I feeling like my road is mine again? Yes. And that feels amazing. And I feel like my kids see it. My husband sees it. And most important, I see it and I feel it. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> it's really cool to know that the self-assuredness that I saw 20 years ago is stronger, if nothing else, now. Because you don't do what you just described without a sense of this is the right work, but also I am the right person to do it. And the sense of self-belief to walk into the room and command it, room being a euphemism for whatever kind of journey you're on, I think, here. It's, I mean, as a friend who's known you for 20 years, that's fucking cool to see. I'm excited. I'm all fired up again. That's awesome. Thank you. It's funny. Behind me, you'll see the peacock with the colored feathers. That's actually something I, this image that kept coming to me when I transitioned out of traditional primary care with, for me, I started feeling like everything was gray, you know, the white coat and the kind of gray metal yeah. background, the off white. Yeah. And, and that's what I wanted is kind of my full peacock feathers that were always, you know, rainbow yeah. color to come out. And that's why I, I got that painting is to symbolize allowing myself to, um, to be fully me 
and in whatever quirky <laughs> way that is. I love it. It's, you know, it's the, it's the, the term that I love is, you know, staying pluripotent and, you know, the career in medicine can become very monochromatic and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but as you say, right, and I can see it, that is not, that is a polychromatic image and that is exactly what you're doing, which is super exciting. So tell us a little bit then, right? You, you've got this fully formed entity, Sensation Salute. You've got a presence on social media. You have a presence online. You're on TV in San Diego a lot, which is rad. What, what are you doing? How do people find it? What are the things that sort of make up a, a week and a month for you? I had a friend ask me that the other day, and I feel like we were there for a really long time of what, what a day or a week looks like. Even my husband's like, I've given up trying to figure out what your schedule is. So essentially, it's like when you're again, an intern so, and you're trying to explain your schedule to your parents. <laughs> yes, why you're not calling them more regularly, yeah, exactly. et cetera. Yes. Yeah. So essentially, what I do is like I said, education and consulting. So my end user is incredibly varied, which I love. So it can be anything from there's two main profits I'm involved with. And one is, again, this very local grassroots organization that has edible gardens. There's a kitchen there where students come from all over southern uh, San Diego County and kids go from the schools to see how plants grow to then go with what they've grown because they've gone four times into the garden and then cook with it. There's a program there for adults, which I now am um, consulting physicians. So as they're trying to figure out how to help it grow from a health standpoint, um, that's one of the work I do. I'm now one of the chefs during the eight weeks. I graduated from giving the health talk to now being the chef that week, which I love. I do. I'm now actually professor at two local universities. So I teach med students, residents, as well as um, graduate students. And that is a side of me I never thought would grow is is Wow. Um, educating. Wow. Yeah. And then on a nationwide, I work on the culinary medicine specialist board. So really permeating culinary medicine into medical schools throughout the country. And we're now growing into food service. So again, someone has a heart attack to go back to that example and the food they're getting in the hospital, the chef down to the, the line cooks are hearing the same language. So they understand why we're using say olive oil instead of butter for a dish we're making, um, you know, to use a very simple example. And then the other part is working with food. So I, this brings up my anthropology side of me of really working with different cultures. So I'm working with different food growers and helping permeate the, the understanding of that food into it kind of goes back to what we were saying of honoring people's culture, people's food preferences that it doesn't come equal. So really helping those pieces. Trying to see if I've explained. It's so varied. It's kind of nutty. So people are going to want to find out, right? I mean, everyone's going to understand what you just described in their own way because this is new and novel and super important and fun. Where do we find it? Yeah. So essentially, my website is sensationsalud.com. So there's two S's in the middle of that. And the name of that really came out of sensations, really waking up your senses around food, where you get it, how you cook it, who's surrounding you when you're eating that food. And then salud means it's a... Absolute on purpose. Uh, it means cheers in Spanish, but it also means health. So that sense of really cheering health and, and again, what brings it to us. I'm also on Instagram, Sensation Salud. Those are my main two. If Facebook is your thing, I'm there as well. Um, and really it's, it's thinking about, I do classes in San Diego and I'm slowly growing virtual and in person. And if you want to do culinary medicine light, I do do events with uh, local chefs uh, where essentially I 
work and look at restaurants where they already have food on their menu that fits the culinary medicine principles. And we choose a tasting menu. And then I will, I will talk people through the menu between courses of why there's health components. So that's really the sensation part of it, the kind of the very light, but really fun experience. That is so great. We can't, we can't get you out of here without one last question. What would be your like ultimate sense memory menu that you, as you referenced at the beginning, I, I've been thinking about it. What would be mine? What would be yours when you sort of think back, Ooh, the things that just unlock all of the, all of the sensations, what would, what would be yours? Mm, it definitely is Mexican food of, I would say when I was growing up in Mexico, my mother was actually a scuba diving instructor. So we would spend a lot of time at the beach. And so it's usually my feet in the sand where the restaurant comes out with uncooked uh, different fish and you choose which one you want on the tray and how you want it cooked. So there's, you know, I'm really light skinned. So I'm usually a little bit burnt in this scenario, but not too bad. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> but just the, the mojo de ajo is... Um, is essentially grilled with butter and garlic. And I can feel it in my hands, like just the drippy goodness of that whole experience with literally feet, feet in the sand and the oceans right there. Amazing. That's, that sounds incredible and I want to do it. Mine is roast chicken in any form, in any venue. My mom made it. My, my wife makes it. I've messed with it. Every restaurant does it. Roast chicken. Mm. My wife and I, years ago, we were in Paris and we got roast chicken and sat in some random park and ah, it's the best. Anyway, it, you can, everyone can kind of access that. And I think that's why I wanted to give us all a little bit of space to just reflect on what would be that one thing. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's a fun exercise to do because now mentally I'm in a good place and I'm hungry. This was so awesome. <laughs> we will, uh, we'll reconnect in 20 years and we'll see where we both are in our careers then. It's amazing to think, right? That. 20 years ago, it really was almost 20 years now. It's like it's 19 and a half. Um, and now here we are. I'm, I'm super excited for everything you're doing. I'm so proud of the journey that you've been on. And this was amazing. We have this forum and I'll have this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. This was fantastic. My thanks once again to Sabrina for joining us on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. Definitely check out the show notes. They're absolutely packed with all of the great resources and links to the cool stuff that Sabrina is doing. Definitely check it out. Definitely follow her on social media so you can see all of the fun and innovative stuff that she's doing. The way she's engaging with communities locally and nationally is really special and really important. And I'm just excited to know her and excited to be able to speak with her about it after all the years that we have known each other. Please do share this episode with your friends and your family and colleagues and definitely subscribe to Explore the Space wherever you like to download your shows. Leave us that five-star rating and a review. It doesn't take very long and it really does help the show out. So if you have a moment, please do so. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Definitely find me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. We will be back soon with more great content, including the return of Med Lasso. We are just a few weeks away from the premiere of season three of Ted Lasso, so you know Med Lasso's getting ready. I am super excited for that. We will be back soon, so take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.